The sermon text for this morning is Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And as you turn there, um, we remember this morning that uh, the book of Joshua records how God remained faithful to his promises to Abraham by uh, bringing Abraham's descendants, Abraham's family, into the land that God had promised them. The book of Joshua uh, demonstrates that our sovereign Lord always keeps his word. Um, This theme is actually summed up in one verse in the book of Joshua. Chapter 21, verse 45, we read, Not one word of all the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Everything that God had spoken had come true. And our text this morning records how how Israel now began preparing for the conquest of the land that God had promised them. So let us now read our sermon text, which is Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And and I encourage you, after we read it, to uh, keep your Bibles open as we refer to this text uh, throughout this morning. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives Your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. As we look at this text this morning, we begin by noting the first point, the action that uh, we are called to as believers, as Christians. You might uh, remember from last Sunday, uh, God's specific instructions to Joshua at the opening of this book, uh, that when God spoke to Joshua, God acknowledged that Moses, the leader of Israel, was dead, and Israel had not yet reached the promised land, the land that God swore to Abraham that he would give to his descendants. But God had had not failed to keep his promise because though Moses was dead, God called Joshua to be the new leader of Israel, to lead the people into 
the promised land. And Joshua, we know, he had uh, shown himself to be faithful uh, up until this point. Uh, you might remember from your Bible reading uh, the story about how Israel sent spies into Canaan. And this was also referenced this morning during our first reading from Numbers chapter, 30, Numbers chapter 32. But uh, when Israel first sent spies into Canaan, they, they did so because it was uh, kind of like a reconnaissance mission. Uh, the purpose of that mission was to spy out the promised land uh, before they began their conquest in order to, to see whether the Canaanites who lived there were strong or, or weak, um, whether there were few or many, uh, to scope out their cities and, and their strongholds, and thereby they would know how uh, specifically to uh, conquer the land. We read that Joshua and a man named Caleb were among the spies chosen uh, to go into Canaan. And they went in, we read, and they scoped out the land for 40 days. And when the spies returned to the Israelites, to the rest of the people, we read in the Bible how the majority of them gave a bad report. And it's a bad report because they lacked faith in God. They said, you know, the land is, is amazing. Um, it flows with milk and honey. And that's just simply a reference to the fact that there were plenteous resources in the land. There's abundant resources there for all of us. And we read it about how they even uh, brought back some of the produce from uh, Canaan to show the rest of Israel how abundant the food was, how big the grapes were. They were like GMO grapes, right? And, and grains. Look how abundant the land is. But then they continued their, their report and they said, uh, too bad though. It's too bad because we won't be able to take the land. Uh, the people that live there, they're giants. Uh, they're so big and so tall, in fact, that uh, we seemed as small and insignificant as grasshoppers compared to them. Um, we are not able to go up against the people because they are stronger than we are. Uh, we don't stand a chance against them. Now, the problem with this majority report was that it led the rest of Israel to begin grumbling against God. Alluded to also in our reading this morning from Numbers 32. The people said, uh, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Um, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will become a prey. And, and they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. But we also read that Joshua and Caleb the two who were among the spies, they actually had a different report, a different opinion. They had a minority report, we might say. And listen to the report that they gave and, and how faithful they were in, in believing and trusting that the Lord would fulfill his promises to his people. We read in Numbers 14, verses 6 through 9, Joshua and Caleb said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. 
Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. And listen, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Loved ones, do you hear the faith that is in behind their response to the people? Joshua and Caleb, they trusted in the Lord, and they believed the Lord's promise. And it's what we see again in our text this morning with Joshua, isn't it? As he gives a faith-filled response to God's command. Uh, notice God's command to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And then verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And then we read here in our text this morning in verses 10 through 11, Joshua's faith-filled response to the Lord. He did exactly what God told him to do. We read, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. We see that Joshua responded in faith and his faith was uh, displayed in his action. And we see also that the other leaders of Israel also responded in faith. Once Joshua conveyed God's instruction to the tribal leaders of Israel, they said, verses 16 through 17, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. What we see here, friends, is that true faith, true faith is always revealed in our action. It's, you know, it's one thing for us to say that we believe or to say that, that we have faith. And it's another thing for us to have that faith displayed by how we live, displayed in our words and in our deeds. This is what James explains in his letter. As James in his letter emphasizes uh, that true faith is displayed in our actions. In James chapter 1, verses 20 through, 22 through 25, he writes, uh, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, James, in this uh, part of his letter, he, he uses an interesting metaphor in, in this text. He says that to hear the word to hear scripture, and then to not live according to it, uh, to not reveal our faith in our deeds and our actions, he says, you know, that's like looking into a mirror, 
and, and you see something wrong with your face. Okay, it might be something between your teeth, right? Spinach left over from lunch. Right? You see something wrong as you're looking into that mirror, but then you simply walk away. You don't, you don't address the issue. You simply walk away and forget about it. James says, you know, that, that makes no sense. But he says, it's the same thing with hearing God's word and not doing it. Because the word, the Bible, is God's mirror to us. Um, it reveals our, our imperfections. It reveals our sins. In the word, we read about our imperfections, our folly, our sin, and, and we read about what God commands. It's like a mirror that, that shows us where we fall short and what God requires. And we are called then to do something about it, to take action, to live accordingly, not to walk away and to forget about the problem, but to take action. Now, you know, in thinking about this, we could make a mistake here and overemphasize action. You've probably heard the phrase, uh, deeds, not creeds. That phrase emphasizes that uh, Christians need to focus on deeds, uh, not creeds. We need to focus on, on actions and, and not just having the right theological head knowledge. Um, and so, you know, thinking about that in, in our text this morning, we see here that you know, we could be led to have what we might call a, a false dichotomy, where we either focus too much on, on theological head knowledge to the neglect of good works, of deeds, of actions, or we emphasize good works over uh, good theology. Um, and yet, loved ones, what we see in our text this morning is how Joshua's actions, how his deeds actually flow out of his theological knowledge of God. There isn't a false dichotomy in in Joshua's heart and mind. Because uh, Joshua's action is, is tempered. It's guided by his knowledge of the Lord. Uh, look again at what Joshua says to Israel in verse 11. He says, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land. That's the action that he's calling Israel to based on what God had commanded him. He continues and says, the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. That's the theology. That's the head knowledge. That's the promise that Joshua is clinging to. The promise that God had given to Abraham, that God had repeated over the centuries to his people. And so we see how Joshua's actions are based on what he knows about God and his word. They respond with faithful action to what God has called them to do. This is why having a true understanding of God, loved ones, having good theology is so important. You know, there are instances in the Bible in which uh, people acted in great faith, um, but their faith was actually misplaced. And they acted wrongly. It was misguided. I think, for instance, about King Saul. Um, there's a story in which King Saul took action by making offerings to God, even though he wasn't authorized by God to do so. 
We read in the Bible about how God wasn't pleased by uh, Saul's actions. Our actions need to be in response to true faith, faith that is grounded in what God has revealed in his word. We see secondly in our text this morning the unity that we need, the unity that we need, especially as displayed in uh, verses 12 through 15. Joshua instructed the officers of Israel, these tribal leaders, to prepare for crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Now, this was a major undertaking. It was a major undertaking because they had been encamped in the same place for quite some time. You know, over these 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they were used to the pattern of setting up camp, setting up the tabernacle, staying in a place for a certain time, and then breaking camp and moving to the next place and unpacking again, and then repeated over and over. But what Joshua is calling them to now is to break camp for the last time. He says, this is going to be different. We're going to uproot. We're going to prepare to enter the promised land. And then we're going to unpack, and we're going to stay unpacked. Because we'll be in our home, the land that God has promised to give, the, to give us. But until they, they reached that land, they needed sufficient food, they needed provisions for the conquest that lay ahead. And we see that in their preparation for conquest of Canaan, uh, Joshua addressed uh, three tribes in particular in our text. Tribes of Reuben, Gad, and a portion of the tribe of Manasseh. We read what he said in verses 12 through 15. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now, we read the background uh, to what Joshua instructed these tribes. We read the background during our, our first reading from Numbers chapter 32. In that chapter, it, it describes how the tribes of Reuben and Gad and a portion of the half-tribe of Manasseh, they, they wanted to live east of the Jordan River. They wanted to remain outside of the boundaries of the Promised Land. Apparently, it was good land for their cattle. They were content and happy with it. And Moses um, agreed. He agreed to their request to remain outside of Canaan. But he, he agreed with the understanding that when it came time for Israel to uh, conquer the Promised Land, the fighting men from Reuben, from Gad, and from Manasseh uh, they would still join to help their brothers in the conquest. And uh, that was Moses' stipulation, and the, uh, the tribes agreed to it. 
they said to Moses in Numbers 32, we are your servants and we will do as the Lord commanded. We will cross the Jordan into Canaan fully armed to fight for the Lord. But our property will be here on this side of the Jordan. Now, now what were they agreeing to? They were agreeing to, when it comes time, we will help Israel fight against the Canaanites. And now, in our text this morning, Joshua was, was calling them to honor their agreements. He was calling them to join their brothers in obeying God's command. And what we see from them is, is an enthusiastic response of solidarity, of unity with the rest of Israel. Notice verse 16, they answer Joshua, all that you have commanded uh, us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. You know, at this point, we, we think about the fact and that these three tribes could have made excuses. Could have made all kinds of excuses, right? Uh, you know, Joshua, yes, we uh, agreed with Moses way back then, but you know, now we're already here in our land, the land that is ours to possess. We're comfortable. Our families are here, and you know, we'd rather not join you in that dangerous conquest of Canaan. Besides, uh, you know, you all look like you have enough men to carry out the battle. Um, you should be fine. Now, if these three tribes would have had that attitude, that would have led to discouragement among the rest of Israel. Um, the rest of Israel would have said, what do you mean you're not going to, to help us in this conquest? You promised to. You, we know that we can't do it without you. The Canaanites are giants, right? We need all the help we can get. And, and this discouragement, it would have led to Israel abandoning the conquest of the land because they would have lacked faith and they would have lacked courage. Beloved ones, we note here the importance of unity and, and solidarity among God's people, among the church. Because God's promise to Israel was a corporate promise. He would bring his people, plural, into the land. And, and his command was therefore that they would conquer it together as one, all the tribes working together for the same goal. And so they were dependent on one another at every step. This was by God's design. And we know, loved ones, from Israel's history that when the nation was united, when the tribes were united together, and when they were honoring the Lord together, the people thrived. The nation thrived. When they fought as one, when they worshipped as one, when they were God's people together, they flourished. But we also know, sadly, that they were not always united as a people. There was a period in Israel's history where the nation was divided into the northern and the southern kingdoms. And, and during that period, they didn't fight as one. In fact, we read in Scripture how they fought against each other and how they worshipped other gods. There was no unity, no solidarity. There was only fragmentation among God's people. And yet we see that God's design was always for his people's unity, for their solidarity, 
And by that, God would bring about peace and prosperity in their midst. Now, this design reminds, remains the same uh, for the church today, loved ones. Uh, we can sometimes, you know, as Christians today, overemphasize our uh, personal relationship with Christ. And that's important to, to speak about our personal relationship with Christ. Because we know from the Bible that an aspect of true faith is that we confess the Lord Jesus with our mouth and, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. The Apostle Paul says that's saving faith. And we do that as individuals. But loved ones, we, we need to understand that Christianity is more than just a personal relationship with Christ. It's actually a relationship with the body of Christ, with his church. And, and this is by God's design, just like it was by God's design for Israel to be united together. Now listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the church in Ephesians chapter 4. And I encourage you to turn there in your copy of Scripture because uh, we will be referring to several verses. Ephesians chapter 4. And notice as I read the language of unity and solidarity, togetherness that the Apostle Paul urges the church to, um, to have. Ephesians chapter 4. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's skip down to verse 11. Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part uh, working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's no aspect there of individual Christianity, of just me and Christ. But Paul speaks there corporately of the church, of living together as the body of Christ, each bringing our gifts and graces to this unique church that God has called us to, to serve him together as brothers and sisters united in faith. There's not a hint in this passage of a lone ranger Christian or of a fragmented church. The emphasis in this passage and throughout scripture is on the body of believers, membership in 
the church as we are all using our gifts and abilities together to build one another up. Lastly, we note in our text from Joshua chapter 1, the rest that God provides. The rest that God provides. Because twice in uh, verses 13 and 15, Joshua describes Israel's entrance into the promised land. He describes it as rest. I'm not sure if you uh, picked that up during the uh, scripture reading this morning. Notice in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 1, we read, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you with a place of rest and will give you this land. And then verse 15, The Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Now, the rest that uh, God promised Israel was a rest from their enemies. Israel had a history of being in slavery and of being oppressed by the nations around them. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, they were encountered and, and they were um, bombarded by, by enemies and by all kinds of opposition from without. But God promised them that in Canaan, in the promised land, they would have peace if they lived in obedience to him. And, and it wasn't just peace and rest for the sake of comfort, for the sake of you know, them being able to kick back and relax, but it was peace for the sake of worship, rest for the sake of them being able to honor God as his uh, peculiar people. In fact, Moses speaking to is he speaking to the second generation of Israel, this generation that is going to enter into the promised land? Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 10 through 11, But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around, so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, to make his name known, to worship him there. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. So there was a purpose behind the rest that God was granting his people so that they might worship and honor him in that land. God was providing spiritual rest for his people, a place where they would be freed from slavery in Egypt. They would be in their own home, the home that God provided, where they would experience freedom and joy and peace because he would be their God and they would be his people. But we know, loved ones, as we consider what God had planned for his uh, people Israel, God had something even greater in store from, for them uh, outside of, of Canaan. That, that land, Canaan, the promised land, was merely a, f- a foreshadow of the eternal rest that God would uh, grant his people in Christ. 
We read this in Hebrews chapter 4, which is our second reading this morning. How the writer of Hebrews there in Hebrews chapter 4 describes the fact that the rest that Canaan, Canaan represented was rest not just from earthly enemies, but it represented rest from spiritual enemies, from Satan, sin, and, and spiritual death. And so as we think about the eternal Sabbath rest that Christ provides his people, loved ones, it's the rest that we all long for, is it not? When in that final day we will finally be free from striving against sin and, and its effects. You know, in this day and, and age, in this time that we live in now, we know that Christ has freed us from the penalty and power of sin. He has freed us from slavery to sin, just as he freed uh, Israel from slavery in Egypt. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We know that though some sin remains, no sin reigns. We, yes, strive against sin on a daily basis, but we know, loved ones, that we are fighting a war that has been won by Christ on the cross. But loved ones, there is an even greater rest to come, a Sabbath rest for the people of God that Scripture describes. The Bible speaks about a day when in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be free not only from sin's penalty and power, but we will be free from sin's presence as well. This is why uh, the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 4, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. God would not have spoken about something greater that was yet to come, something greater than Canaan, something greater than that earthly promised land. But God, in essence, was pointing you and me and Israel to a greater reality that is yet to come when we will be free of sin's penalty and power. He writes, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And friends, the only way to enter that eternal rest is by faith in Christ, by trusting in the same gospel that Israel heard and, and that you hear today by trusting that Christ and, and Christ alone has done all that is necessary for your sins to be forgiven. And, and if you haven't yet trusted in Christ for salvation, the Bible says that the promise of rest still stands, still before you this morning, this day. The Lord Jesus says to you today, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these promises that we read in your word. And we pray this morning that you would grant us faith to live according 
to the truth that we read in these pages. Grant us to put into action what we know in our hearts and minds about you. Equip us, we pray, to be united as a church, to live together as the body of Christ. Grant us to be encouraging to one another as we see the day approaching. And we pray also that you would strengthen each of us by your spirit as we are pilgrims through this wilderness of sin. Help us, Lord, to persevere so that we may enter our eternal Sabbath rest with Christ in glory. Hear us as we pray to you, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.